Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Man, am I excited to introduce you to someone that I have been a fan of his work forever and ever. His name is Michael Hyatt. He's the founder and chairman of Full Focus. He's scaled multiple companies, including a $250 million publishing company with more than 750 employees. He's got his own award-winning goal achievement and coaching company called Full Focus. And between his coaching programs for small business owners, his best-selling planners, he's also helped hundreds of thousands of achievers reach their biggest goals. He is the author of several New York Times bestselling books, including Platform, Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus, The Vision Driven Leader, and Win at Work and Succeed at Life. He uh, enjoys a double win, as he says, with his wife of more than 40 years, his five daughters, and his 10 grandchildren. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Hyatt. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all, rise together. Hello, Michael. Hey. Hey, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, I obviously am reading a bio. (laughs) You have uh, lived the life. And so I'm curious, uh, for those that maybe don't have as much familiarity with who you are and how you got here, Uh, Just a little bit of your story in your words, and also a little of why you think you're here, like from a maybe divine perspective or a bigger picture perspective, what purpose are you living out on this planet? That is a great question. Yeah, so I spent almost my entire career in the book publishing industry, most recently as the CEO and the chairman of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which was sold to HarperCollins, which was when I made my exit to found Full Focus. But I got involved in that because I intended to go into the ministry, actually. That's what I was preparing for in college. And I started working at a small publishing company. 
and just loved it and saw the potential for books to dramatically impact people's lives as they had mine. You know, books were everything to me. And so uh, I, I loved that career. It was, it was amazing. I got to work with some amazing authors and helping them bring their messages to the world. And I just felt like this is a great way to have a transformative impact on the world is to kind of be a literary midwife to these authors that had something important to say. So then I started writing myself. In fact, I had an author challenge me one time. He said, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, um, why don't you write a book? And I said, wow, okay. So yeah, so I started writing, uh, started speaking publicly, which is something we can talk about because I was scared to death of it initially. Had to change my thinking on that. But yeah, so I've been married to my wife, Gail. We're living in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We have 10 grandkids. They all live within about five minutes of us. All of our daughters, we have five daughters, no sons. Five daughters live within 20 minutes of us. And so, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Amazing. Well, one, I mean, that you're in Nashville is, it's like, if I wasn't living just outside of Austin, I'd be living in Nashville. And if there's a reason to go to Nashville, I will take it every single chance because of this collection of cool people that all are there. John Acuff and Carlos Whitaker and Annie Downs and a whole host of people that I think we both probably know. But I love your neighborhood. I love your city. So, and I also, by the way, have a fondness for Thomas Nelson because uh, this house has published some books out of Thomas Nelson. My recent kid's book came out of Tommy Nelson. There's a lot of goodness for the Nelson-ness in, uh, in awesome. this house. So- I know you have a new book that's coming out. It's all about mindset. Mindset, you know, maybe for maybe we should even start before I even talk about what um, the book is. Um, I don't even know that everyone who's listening appreciates what mindset is. So maybe before we dive into a little of the insights you have on how important it can be in changing your stinking life and create success for whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, can we just start with just a little basic, what the heck is mindset and why does it matter? Yeah, a lot of people talk about it. And by the way, I wrote this book, Mind Your Mindset, with my oldest daughter, Megan, who's now the CEO of Full Focus. And it's our second book together, and it was a blast to write together. But we we both have uh, kind of different stories of how we got here. But for me, I, when I was at Thomas Nelson as the CEO, we had grown for seven years, year over year. Our stock price was expanding. We were publicly held when I became a became the CEO of the company. But after a, a while, I was kind of out of tricks. You know, I picked all the low-hanging fruit, and I thought, man, if we're going to continue to grow, I, don't, I need to tap into an outside resource. So I hired an executive coach by the name of Eileen, and Eileen came in, and she said, look, if you want different results, most people think they've got to, you know, redouble their action, work smarter, work harder, just brute force it. And she said, that's pretty typical. And entrepreneurs, leaders have an action bias. But she said, if you really want extraordinary results, you got to change the way you think. So this is really mindset. The way that you think before you take the first action will determine the strategy you employ, the actions you take, and more importantly, the results you get. So if you swim far enough upsp upstream, it's those stories that we're telling ourselves about the world that make all the difference in terms of the results that we see. And that's why we wrote the book. Oh, I love it. Rather than thinking about what you're doing, spend some time thinking about what you're thinking. You know, like there's so much gold in that single sentence. And I don't know that it's a thing that we actually stop to think about often enough. I know that the book is grounded in science. I mean, the subtitle is The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. 
So can you unpack a little bit of what you found in the science to back up why mindset is such an important place for all of us to start? Yeah, I think understanding the brain helps us understand kind of the natural way that we think. So we have certain cells in our brains, they're neurons, but the the scientists call them concept cells. And we store kind of like if you went uh, to a, a storage retail store and bought a special container for a certain kind of thing, there are certain neurons that are related to places, people, all of that helps us memorize that. But the amazing thing our brain does is it weaves those disparate parts into stories. And a lot of times, and this is the key thing, is that we confuse the story with the truth. We think our story is the truth when it's only an interpretation of the facts. So there's what happens to us, and then there's the meaning that we assign to what happens to us. Those are two radically different things. Yeah. The facts are objective, they're verifiable, they're the things that would appear in a police report or a financial statement, pretty boring. They're kind of the Lego blocks. But but then how we assemble those, I mean, you could build a Millennium Falcon like they have at Disney World out of Lego blocks, or you could build something more benign and something less impressive. But all of that gets put together in a story because you and I are meaning-seeking creatures. We cannot live without stories because our brain is always trying to use these stories to protect us and to determine what's next. So it's it's a little bit like the Secret Service when they're protecting the president if they're out with him with the crowd, they're constantly scanning the crowd, looking for patterns. Why? To protect the president. That's how your brain works. Constantly scanning your environment, looking to see what's a threat, and telling you a story that keeps you safe, which also has the unintended consequence of keeping you out of your discomfort zone where all the cool stuff happens. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think in my own life, you know, I've had an experience, like I'll say a significant experience in the end of a relationship. And I know that I have created meaning around the story that I believe about what happened and why it happened. And I was in therapy not very long ago, and the, the therapist was challenging me to think about the way that the storytelling existed on the opposite side of the relationship that ended. And I said, okay, I can think about that. Yep, I appreciate that, of course, like there's a reason why this person believes these things about the end of this relationship. And he said, now, does it maybe occur to you that the truth is objectively somewhere in between each of these stories and that each of you, for reasons that you might not even be conscious of, are assigning meaning that helps you feel a certain way or feel more safe or feel more, whatever it might be. I said, yeah. And what's interesting is in being able to see the opposite side and have some appreciation that, hey, it's not bad that that's the story that they told. They have every right to feel whatever they feel. It actually was an invitation for me to challenge some of my story and ask why I'd assigned the meaning that I'd assigned to it that was going to, in answering those questions, maybe give me some gateway to healing or to hope. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Talk a little bit about you know, like how do we get more kind of self-aware of the story and if in that self-awareness it creates an avenue to reframe or retell the story 
if it serves us to do that. So good. That's such a great story. And I think many of us have had that kind of experience where we suddenly discover that our story doesn't exactly map to reality or there are alternative stories that maybe better explain the facts or certainly are more empowering. So if you go back to 2009, I was um, the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. We were in the middle of the recession. And Eileen, this executive coach that I had hired, she would come in one day a month and spend the entire day with me. And speaking of therapy, it was about 75% therapy and about 25% business coaching. So she would just like crack open my head and try to get inside it to see what I was thinking because her premise was that that was influencing the results. So she comes in in August of 2009 and she says, hey, she sat down, she said, how did last month turn out? And I said, not that great. She said, what? I said, yeah, not that great. She said, well, what happened? And I said, well, we missed the top line by about 10%. And that was enough that we lost money last month. And she said, man, I'm really surprised because when I was sitting here last month, you were so confident that not only were you going to hit the budget, you were going to exceed the budget. So she said, what happened? And I said, well, Eileen, there's a recession. And the recession uh, reduced foot traffic at retail and people just aren't buying books. And in fact, consumer confidence is at an all-time low. I said, in addition to that, the publishing industry is going through this crazy transition between physical and digital, and none of us know how that's going to turn out. It's created a lot of confusion. Consumers are hesitant as a result. And third, we've got social media, which we haven't quite figured out yet. We don't know how to use it to sell stuff, but we do know that traditional marketing is not working like it used to. And so we're kind of lost. So that's why it happened. So she kept taking notes and she finally looked up at me and she said, let me ask you a question. What was it about your leadership that led to this result? Dave, that ticked me off. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean my leadership? Those I just got done explaining words. to you. <laughs> I know. I, I just got done explaining to you why it happened. She said, I know, but what was it about your leadership? And I, I took offense again and I said, I, I'm telling you, it's all this stuff. And she said, let me ask the question a different way. She said, if you could go back 30 to 45 days, knowing what you know doubt, now, would you have done something different? And I said, yes. She said, like what? And I said, well, I would have probably met every day with the sales team in a stand-up meeting just to make sure that we were pacing to hit the ultimate target. She said, okay, what else? I said, I think I would have gone on that call to Walmart because our guys did a pretty good job. But honestly, I think I could have shoehorned some more product in that probably would have made the difference. She said, okay, what else? So I gave her like three to five things. Yeah. Then she kind of smiles and she says, so what you're telling me is that it is about your leadership. Now, I thought the problem was out there. And, and the nice thing about the problem being out there is it gave me an excuse. Yeah. Because I could say to her and I could say to the board, you know, I gave it the old college try. You know, we really worked hard. We tried. And unfortunately, our legs were cut out from under us by these environmental circumstances. But what happened is when I accept, accepted her version of the story, um, yeah, I had to take responsibility. But the power came back. Mm. So now all of a sudden, I'm empowered. I could do something different. And even when the pandemic hit, I said to my coaching clients, I said, this may be one of the greatest opportunities you see in your lifetime. And I know that it feels like everything's about to come crashing down. And even now, Dave, as you and I are sitting here talking, there's, you know, the talk of a possibility of a recession. 
but there are winners and losers. And I promise you, the only difference is going to be in how people think about that. Yeah. God, that's so good. Uh, I mean, all of this ends up being about storytelling, stories that are anchored in some kind of assumption about the past or some prediction of how the future is going to come. And in some ways, it makes our brain make sense of a wild array of information in all of the encounters that we have on an every single day basis. But sometimes we have to check if that story is actually real, if it actually serves us, if it's keeping us stuck. In this example, right? I love I love this example, right? You get the feedback. There are people that might get that feedback and tell a story that they're not an effective leader. Like somehow they don't have what it takes. And so changing the way that they receive that kind of feedback or that information is something that would require a different story being told. I know you talk in the book about a three-step process in how to challenge existing stories. Could you walk just what those three steps are so that if anyone is stuck with a bad story, um, they have something that they could do to try and change it? Absolutely. So step one is to identify the story. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to go on a retreat, sit on a rock and deconstruct every story in your head. I mean, that wouldn't be practical. There's not enough time for that. But anytime you feel like you're stuck, you know, maybe you're disappointed with the results you're getting. Maybe you're anxious or you're fearful or, you know, you're just, you're catastrophizing or whatever, then it's, it's important to ask yourself, what's the story that might lead to that? So identifying the story is really this step about self-awareness and thinking about our thinking. Most people don't do that. Most people think that their thoughts are just kind of on automatic pilot and it's just, a, they're just interpreting reality that exists. But here's the thing, inside of our heads is this character that Megan and I call the narrator. And this is the person that is talking nonstop. They won't shut up. And they're constantly interpreting reality. You know, an experience back in the 90s where I had founded a publishing company with a business partner and that company was great for five years and then it wasn't great for five years and it went broke. And um, that was humiliating, you know, to go through that. It, we didn't even have enough assets to go bankrupt. I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was. So we basically just had to shut the doors and we had people from our church delivering groceries to us. I mean, oh. that was publicly humiliating. But then I had a mentor, somebody that I really respected. I'm sitting on a plane with him and I was kind of telling him this story. And he says to me, you know, you're not very good with money, are you? Well, that killed me mm. because it never occurred to me in that moment to question his story for me. I thought he was speaking the truth. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not very good with money. And because he said it, and because he's a mentor, it must be the truth. And so I spent the next decade of my life proving that I was not very good with money. I made some colossal financial mistakes. Um, one cost me $1.2 million. Oh. Stupid mistake that totally could have been avoided, but I made it anyway because I'm not very good with money. Well, at some point, I started to interrogate that story, and that's step number two. You know, let's separate the facts from the fiction. Okay, the facts are, I had a business that went bust. The facts are, I made a few bad financial decisions. Is that the end of the story? Or is that really just part of the story? And could there be a different story? Like, could I be somebody who learns how to better manage money? Yeah. Could I be a person who gets in a room with people that are good at money 
and and could uh, adopt or borrow some of their beliefs to inform my own story. And that's exactly what I did. But the problem we have when we're thinking about our thinking, and we talk about this in the book, the science says, this is astounding, 20% of our memories on average are false. Wow. We totally make them up. They never occurred. And, and this is why in a, in a crime or in our criminal justice system, you have to have two witnesses because one witness, not that reliable. Two witnesses, now you're getting toward the truth. Up to 70% of our stories have inaccuracies, sometimes really significant inaccuracies. So one of the practices that Gail and I have is that uh, at night, we don't do this every night, but almost every night, we're laying in bed together and we say, hey, what was the best thing that happened to you today? Because it gives us a positive, positive focus before we go to sleep and then we don't worry and stay awake really. Yep. So I asked Gail, she tells me something. She says, how was your day? And I said, it, honestly, it was horrible. She said, wow, that's strong language. And I said, yeah, it is. And she said, well, tell me about it. So I told her about it. Pause. She says, well, it seems to me like you had a pretty bad 20 minutes, but the rest of the day was pretty amazing. Wow. <laughs> so good. And so I had distorted, I'd created a whole story by making that little part, that 20 minute part, the whole story. And I concocted a whole story about how the whole day was a disaster. And so she was able to interrogate my thinking. So that's the second step. And then the third step is just, we, we can imagine a better story. Yeah. And that's where we, we, we understand that we can choose the elements of our story. We can concoct a better story, a story that's more empowering, a story that serves what we're trying to do in the world. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast so when you find yourself with a bad story is there a reason why the meaning making machine that we are has assigned a story that's disempowering or that might keep us stuck or that feeds into our fear like is there something in the science that tells us this is why it's so hard to be human? We storytell this way because of X. Yes, it's because of the way, you know, depending on your perspective, so the way we evolved and that our brain is there to protect us. So the reason my brain was telling me and reinforcing the story of you're not very good with money is because it didn't want me to take any risk related to money oh. because last time I touched the stove, I got burned. 
So it, it, it basically, the story is going to keep us small, uh, keep us from taking risk and protect us. But the one thing that we know from personal development, one thing we know from personal experience is that usually when we venture into the discomfort zone where it's not safe, that's where all the good stuff happens. Yeah, That's where we grow. That's where we develop. That's where we become uh, bigger than we are now. But our brain is naturally going to keep us stuck in what's familiar. And, and as a, at, a, at a brain level, at a neuroscience level, what's happening is that those neurons learn to fire together. It's called Hebb's Law. Neurons that fire together, wire together, and it creates this neural pathway that becomes the familiar path that our brains take. We get a trigger, and then we respond. I grew up in an alcoholic uh, family where my dad was an alcoholic, and there were certain triggers that to this day, I have to really take a deep breath and pause. Otherwise, my brain will run down that well-worn path, and I'll respond in fight or flight. But what, what I've learned to do, and I don't always do it perfectly for sure, but what, the, what I've learned to do is when I get that trigger, and it actually literally happened earlier this week, I just have to take a deep breath. And I, I said to Gail, because uh, she said something that triggered me. She didn't trigger me. She said something that I chose to let trigger me. Yeah. And uh, I said, honey, I'm not giving you the silent treatment, but I just kind of got to think this through and process it because right now I'm kind of in fight or flight. And so she got it. I mean, she'd already apologized. But uh, but it was just I have to put a, a pause, as Victor Frankel and Stephen Covey say, between the stimulus and the response, and choose my story. Yeah, gosh, so good. I mean, you mentioned something that reminds me. There's a line in the book that talks about uncertainty that I loved. As unsettling as it may be, uncertainty is not the enemy. It points not to chaos but to possibility. To have the confidence to engage the world and reshape our stories is far more valuable and reassuring asset than is certainty. And it's just a thing that I think plays completely the opposite way for most of us when it comes to our willingness to run towards uncertainty or embrace uncertainty as an opportunity. Talk just for a second about the idea of not chaos, but possibility. Yeah. You know, in order to believe in possibility, we have to really believe that the future is not certain, that the, the future is not predetermined. You know, we're not just on this path where we have no agency and the outcome is, you know, we're, we become fatalists. So I, another story, I, this last fall, uh, in September, I had a heart attack. Wow. And I'm somebody that, like, I've really taken care of myself for a long time. Uh, I have a nutritionist that I've worked with for almost a decade. I have a trainer that I've worked with for over a decade. And I thought I was good to go. I've got a doctor that checks my blood every three months. I had a high calcium score, and that was a little bit worrisome. But nobody seemed too alarmed about it. And then suddenly I had this heart attack. I ended up having bypass surgery, which was blew my mind that I had to do that. But, but here's the important thing. Then I went into cardiac rehab. I had no idea that this exists. So you basically go in and exercise with a monitor where the nurses can monitor everything so that you don't kill yourself, basically. So part of that involves education. And so after the workout session, we go into a room, there were seven people in my class and we sit down and then the nurse instructs us on something related to, you know, having better health going forward and making sure that this doesn't reoccur. So she wisely asked this question in the first session. She says, what does your heart attack or your heart surgery, what does that mean for you? And then she sat back. The guy directly across the table from me says, he says, well, I can tell you what it means for me. This is the beginning of the end. Wow. 
I'm, I'm going downhill from here. It's only a matter of time before I die. And I just basically have to manage the decline. I was stunned. God, I want to hug that man. <laughs> oh, I know, really. And, 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 he was, and he was tearing up as he was telling this. And I thought, wow. Well, so for him, the future was certain. And the story he was telling himself was that this was inevitable. Now, I had the good fortune of, I have a doctor I work with in LA uh, who's a specialist in peptides. And I worked with him for a couple of years. So he calls me when I'm still in ICU. I'm about to get out. I'm just waiting for a room. He calls me in ICU. He's on his way through the airport. He'd been speaking somewhere. And he says, hey, I just want to talk to you for a minute. I said, okay, great. He said, um, you know, everything that's happened over the last several weeks is in the past. You get that, right? Like there's nothing you can do to change it. I'm, I'm telling you here as your doctor who looks at your blood work every three months that you've been in excellent health. You've taken great care of yourselves. Self. I've been in the Andes in Peru climbing or hiking six weeks before that. It's wow. a miracle I didn't die there. But he said, you were in great shape. But he said, it doesn't matter. You're going to start thinking, if you're not careful, what you could have done, what you should have done. He said, forget that. It's all gone. He said, but here's what I can tell you. The future is full of possibility. He said, you've been rebooted. You've got better blood flow to your brain than you have had in the last several years because these blockages are cleared now. So he said, I can't wait to see what you create with this newfound energy and with the future, with this life extension, this gift that you've been given. So good. If you take my friend's perspective, I mean, if it's inevitable, if the future is certain, bring on the fried chicken, bring on the double cheeseburgers, because there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But in my case, because of what my doctor shared with me, the story that he gave to me and which I borrowed from him was, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of something great. But that takes some uncertainty. I don't know what I'm going to create. I don't know what's going to be different, but I'm embracing it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So good. It's a, like a just a total re reshape, reframe, whatever you want to say. And it makes the complete difference in whether you're going to have it the does. kind of life that you're going to have or he's going to have the kind of life that he's going to have. Let's talk about the narrator. You mentioned the narrator earlier. Uh, you know, like I am a big fan of like untethered soul. You're not the the voice you hear. You're the observer of the voice. Like how do we find in your work with the science, with your case studies, how do we find the narrator who's telling us these stories and how do we engage the narrator so that we can change them? Yeah, well, the narrator is good. You know, I think it's really easy to kind of see the, the narrator as the enemy and that'll make you schizophrenic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the narrator is there trying to protect you. It's like a, like a helicopter parent that's working overtime trying to keep you from doing anything that that might be dangerous or that might harm you. And so once we realize that there's this voice inside of us that's trying to do that, and it's the voice of the narrator, and I like um, personifying it and making it objective because it's easier to identify that way. But the way the narrator shows up in our thinking is there are sentences in our head. So that, for example, in that decade after somebody told me I wasn't very good with my money, so the narrator took on that and said, hey, just wanted to remind you, you're about to make this investment or you're about to make this financial move. Don't forget, you're not very good with money. So the narrator saying this. So we found in our work, particularly in our with our coaching clients, is write down the sentences that are in your head. What's the narrator saying? This objectifies it and it makes it less scary because sometimes you just look at what the narrator is saying and you go, okay, that's stupid. 
you know, what? I'm not going to believe that. Sometimes you just go, okay, I've got to re-engineer that. And I've got to prepare a script for the narrator because I got to reprogram my thinking and literally the neuroscience level, what you're doing in your brain, you're trying to cut a new neural pathway so that instead of going down that familiar groove that's already been cut so that those neurons are firing together, now you're going to try to make other neurons fire so that you end up at a different place. And at the beginning, that's awkward. Like you can see my background and people that are just listening to this won't see this, but I have a bunch of guitars in my background. I play guitar. I started playing guitar when I was in the ninth grade. It's a hobby. At one time, I thought I might do it professionally, but then um, yeah, I decided to make it a hobby. But when I first started playing, it was so awkward. You know, it was just by rote to, you know, to move from a G chord to a C chord. I had to consciously focus on where every finger went, and it was so slow and so frustrating. Now, never think about it. Why? Because I have a new neural pathway. But that's how everything is. New thinking is going to feel awkward. Sometimes we're going to feel like we're out a little bit over our skis. Like, well, that's not quite true. That story I'm telling myself. But by telling that story, we can live into that. It will begin to shape our behavior so that that becomes our new reality. But it starts with that new story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The distinguishing between fact and fiction. Like, uh, you know, like I am someone who... Like I can sniff BS, but I also am victim to believing stories that have existed for a long, long time, or sometimes have given maybe a little too much weight to the credibility of the author that may have spoken it out loud that then had my narrator mimicking, as it were. How do, how do we go about separating fact from fiction? Like, is there an example you could even give of like what it looks like to try and separate fact from fiction? Yeah, I think that you know, first of all, let's define a fact. A fact is objective. It's verifiable. It's out there. It's really one of the few things that's true. You know, the stories are not true. They're either effective or not effective. It's how we assemble sort of the Lego blocks that we call the facts. But a fact would be something that would appear in a police report, something that would appear on a financial statement. But then there's the story. I used to hate public speaking. Now I love it but I used to hate public speaking. And it was because I was telling myself a story to protect myself. And so whenever I would experience sweaty palms or sweat under my armpits, but by the way, so much so that sometimes I would wear two t-shirts <laughs> under a dress shirt so that I wouldn't give myself away and let people know that I was scared to death. My voice would shake. I would have butterflies in my stomach. And I dreaded, like every time I accepted a speaking engagement, I'd go, what was I thinking? You know, this is like the last thing I want to do. I'm scared to death. I don't like how this feels. And then somebody said to me, they said, the, yes, those are the facts. Your hands are sweating. Um, you have butterflies in your stomach. Your voice is a little bit gnarly. So those are the facts. The story that I was telling myself was, this is proof that I have no business on stage. This is proof that God didn't wire me to be a public speaker. 
somebody else came along and said, what if that adrenaline was there to serve you? Ooh. And what if that adrenaline made you think with more focus, greater creativity? You are sharper than you are ever going to be when you've got adrenaline coursing through your veins. And, and so then I adopted a different story. And so when I'd feel those things, I'd say, this is how my body prepares itself for peak performance. Game time. And that's, that's literally what I say to myself before I get on the stage. I say, oh, yeah, the adrenaline's happening now. And that's good. I'd hate to step on stage without adrenaline. I would be half as good. Oh, gosh, that's that's great. I mean, the difference between excitement and nervousness is de like definition or meaning. I mean, like that's all it is. Like it's the same <laughs> it's exact it feeling. Is. It's all it is is what what you assign it. Um, you talk about intuition in the book as we're trying to figure out how to just like kind of discern fact from fiction or challenge the na narrator and whatever story doesn't serve us. I love I love this quote. When relying on intuition, it's critical to distinguish between what we strongly believe or wish to be true and what is most likely to be true. So if, if there is this bias, right, there's this bias of like what we wish would happen, how can we, how can we have that discernment for what is real or what isn't? Or, or how can we have trust in our own intuition? Yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because um, sometimes our perception of the facts are shaped by our goals. And this is often called confirmation bias. Yeah. In other words, we come to a conclusion, maybe about ourselves or about somebody that works for us. You know, like maybe we say, you know, Sally's kind of a train wreck, isn't she? And, and then so we interpret everything that Sally does through that label, through that metaphor, she's a train wreck. And when we adopt that label, that we discount any evidence that doesn't support that thesis that she's a train wreck. We don't even see the evidence. We don't notice it. We only notice the things that confirm she's a train wreck. So we have to be very careful about that. Our intuition is a different way of thinking. And this is one of the things I learned to appreciate in doing the research for the book, is that our, our intuition is not like a sixth sense. What it is is hyper-fast processing in our brain. So uh, again, if you think through sort of the whole premise of survival, you know, the way that our, our brains have grown over time and changed over time is to protect us. And if you were out in the wild trying to scan, like I was talking about the Secret Service, and there's a threat, you don't have time to process, process that through the executive, you know, or the, the prefrontal cortex. That's processed at a, at a more fundamental, more primal level. Why? To save your life. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> and so... The intu intuition is mostly right, but not always right. So um, we tell the story in the book of a race where it was a race car driver. And um, he's about to crest a hill and he's got the pedal to the metal. And there are fans that are in the stands. And all of a sudden, before he can actually consciously think about it, he feels this urge to hit the brakes. And he does hit the brakes. And what he couldn't see and couldn't have known is that over that hill, there was like a 20-car pileup. Well, how did he have the intuition? Well, here's what happened. His brain saw at a peripheral level that the fans were not looking at him, which they should have been. They were looking over the hill at this pileup that had just occurred. And, he, and at a subconscious level, he thought to himself, something's off. Yeah. Something's wrong here. So hit the brakes saved his life. That was intuition. But it's not infallible. 
but it's something that we, you know, over time need to pay attention to and certainly not discount. I'd say don't give it too much weight one way or the other, but pay attention to it because oftentimes it gets to the answer faster than our conscious thinking can. Yeah. I mean, building trust with ourselves and trusting that initial instinct is a thing that I think everyone you know, needs to continue to hone over time and that as they develop it, they just make better decisions and have what ends up being a kind of cyclical kind of uh, reinforcing of their belief in themselves because, oh yeah, the last time I believed in myself, it actually proved to be the thing that I was meant to do. All right, the third thing that you had said in the three-step process, because I think there could be people that, yep, identify their story that didn't work in and start asking it questions, but imagining something that works better requires, as Imagine would suggest, imagination. And so yes. uh, I'm curious, you know, for someone who feels a little stuck, like I've, I've, I've set, talked about this before in my work, that sometimes our ability to cast a hopeful future for the vision is because we're compromised by the circumstances of our present. And some people are going through hard times. And so I'm curious, like, what's the, what's the secret? What's the trick to having the imagination for the better story if you find yourself in a season of stuck? Yeah, I think that's, we actually outline four strategies in the book for doing that because there are some specific hooks. These get easier over time, but I'll just give you one of them. Uh, this is actually the last strategy we talk about is to experiment. Sometimes our brains don't want to go in a certain direction because it again, it does make us uncomfortable and it's trying to protect us from danger. But if we can frame it up to ourselves as, look, I'm not committing to this long-term this is just an experiment. We're just going to try it. So one of the things that happened in the pandemic was that we suddenly had a company full of young parents whose kids were now suddenly at home and it was crazy town. And so we said, what if we went from an eight hour workday to a six hour workday? We're going to pay people the exact same amount of money, but let's just see if it'll work. Well, most of the opposition came from our leadership. They said, there's no way we can accomplish what we need to accomplish by working six hours a day. So I said, well, what if we tried it for two weeks? Just an experiment. And let's just see if we can maintain our productivity, if we can deliver the same results we've been delivering, working 40-hour weeks. So they said, okay, let's try it. So after two weeks, how did it go? Pretty amazing. I don't see any downside to this. You know, we're still accomplishing the same things. And oh, by the way, now we have time for a life. Now we have time for the kids. We can pick the kids up, you know, or we can do all these different things with our with our families. Great. Let's just stick with this, again, as a spirit, an experiment through the summer, and then we'll ante up. Because, you know, obviously it worked in the short term. Will it work a little bit longer term? Got to the end of the summer, got all the executives together, said, what do you think? Well, that has become now a permanent part of our culture. Amazing. It makes recruiting easier. It means that People have something we call the double win, which is when they win at work and succeed at life and have an opportunity. But we had to hack our brains and our own stories by framing it as an experiment because, again, we would we would fall back into that self-protective mode of, no, 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 we got to do what works. And what works, we know, is a 40-hour work week. Yeah. Well, maybe there's different models. So good. All right. The book is called Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. If you are not already in possession of this book, get in possession of this book. Michael, for anyone who buys the book, what is the thing that you'd hope that they take away from it? Man, I hope what they, they take away from it, Dave, is a sense of possibility. That, that really there's no end 
to what we can accomplish if we can just get inside our own heads and change our thinking. You know, as we look at the world, all the great entrepreneurs of the world, all the great leaders of the world, you know, it's not that they're that much smarter than we are. You know, I don't want to take away from, from anybody that is smart. It's not that they have more contacts or more resources. It's by and large, they think different than we think. And we can learn to think different than we currently think. And that's what the book is is designed to do, is to help people produce better results by thinking different thoughts. What an invitation. Everyone needs to get on the thinking about what we're thinking about train because it can fundamentally change every single part of your life, the way you connect, the way you produce, the way that you love, all of it. Uh, if people are not already familiar with your work and they want to learn more about what you do, where on the internet do you send people? I send people to fullfocus.co, C-O. That's our main website. Our podcast is linked there, which I also do with my daughter. Uh, you can find the book there. There's also the mindyourmindsetbook.com. And if you go there, we have some really sweet bonuses, including the audiobook. All you have to do is buy the physical book or the Kindle version of the book, and we'll give that audiobook to you for free, along with some other goodies. Excellent. All right. We finish every episode with a single question. If there was one piece of advice, one quote, one thing, a prayer, whatever it is, what there's got to be something that someone who is listening today is desperately in need of hearing. If there was uh, one thing that you could leave this audience with, what would it be? You don't have to drift through life. You can design your life. And the thing that makes design possible is intention. So start living with intention if you're not already. Let's go. Michael Hyatt, it's so great to have finally been able to connect with you like this. Thank you for serving this audience so well. Uh, for the listener, if you took anything away from this episode and how the heck could you have not, please do Michael and I a favor, take a picture of the device that you're using, share it on your socials, tag the both of us and um, let everyone know that uh, thinking about what you're thinking about is the thing that they need to do between now and next episode. As Michael said, let's be intentional with our actions. Michael, I appreciate you for being here today. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me, Dave. Of Great course. to finally meet you. We will see you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah, and it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th, and it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her. And that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com.